0: Turn with me, please, in your Bibles to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, verse 25 and following. Story we know well, the story of the Good Samaritan. Luke 10, 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, Jesus replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. And... Love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? And Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho where he fell into the hands of robbers. He went to him and banished his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, The one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, Go and do likewise. That very same scripture from the Message Bible. You will like how this is done. Just then, a religious scholar stood up with a question to test Jesus. Teacher, what do I need to do to get eternal life? Jesus answered, what is written in God's law? How do you interpret it? And he said, that you love the Lord your God with all your passion and all your prayers and muscle and intelligence, and that you love your neighbor as well as you do yourself. Good answer, Jesus said. Do it, and you'll live. Looking for a loophole, he asked, and just how would you define neighbor? Jesus answered by telling a story. There was once a man traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho, and on the way he was attacked by robbers. They took his clothes, beat him up, and went off leaving him half dead. Luckily, a priest was on his way down the same road. But when he saw him, he angled across to the other side. Then a Levite religious man showed up. He also avoided the injured man, a Samaritan. Traveling the road came on him. When he saw the man's condition, his heart went out to him. He gave him first aid, disinfecting and bandaging his wounds. Then he lifted him onto his donkey, led him to an inn, and made him comfortable. In the morning, he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take good care of him. If it costs any more, put it on my bill. I will pay it on my way back. What do you think? Which of these three became a neighbor to the man attacked by robbers? the man who treated him kindly, the religious scholar responded. Jesus said, go and do the same. Let me pray with you. Oh God, speak to us. We didn't come just to see one another. As good as that is, because that is a part of church, too. But we've come to have you speak to us. So speak is our prayer. And we will listen. And we will do. In Christ's name, amen. Now, I'm only gonna, I, I need to say something to you here, because I'm not going to follow the outline and this is the only time I'm going to make this explanation. From this point on, just remember, when I don't follow the outline, it's just because I don't like outlines sometimes. Okay, When we were, this has nothing to do with the message, okay? When you was in school, did you ever write an essay, and then you made the outline after you wrote the essay? Come on, come on. Did that all the time. Did that all the time. Sometimes you had to make out the outline, and then you had to follow it. Well, this is where I find myself, and this is where a lot of pastors find themselves. I have to give an outline to Jackie, the church secretary, sometime on Tuesday or Wednesday. But oftentimes, I don't do the sermon until Thursday or Friday. So I gave her an outline, and I realized this isn't going to go anywhere. (laughs) That outline isn't going to (laughs) work. So what you have in your bulletin as an outline is not what we're doing. (laughs) Okay? That's just where we are. That's the only time I'm going to explain that. From this point on, when I don't follow the outline, that's just the reason I didn't follow the outline. So, we're doing a series called Graduate Level Love. There's different levels of love, isn't there? And this is what we've said. And this is my last Sunday on graduate level love. Pastor Greg will take up this theme again next Sunday. But different levels of love. There's preschool love. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. There's elementary school love. Jesus loves everybody. Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world. Jesus loves everybody. There's junior high love. That's where I begin to realize, yeah, Jesus loves everybody, but it's an effort for me to love everybody. So I'm going to choose who I'm going to love. High school love. Now, you may be an adult, and you go through all one of the, all these different levels, but high school love is, I'm just going to stay close to those that I know love me think like me I'm gonna stay in my comfort zone and every time you and I want to stay in our comfort zone we're just operating at high school level love maybe even junior high level love then there's college level love that's where we begin to ask and answer the question what does love require of me so every time we find ourselves in a situation, we're asking this question, what does love require of me? What should be my loving response in the situation where I find myself? I'm operating at college-level love. Then there's graduate-level love. That's where I say, I'm willing to get way outside of my comfort zone. I'm willing to risk. I'm willing to take time. That's where I'm willing to respond to the question, how much does How much is love going to cost me? I'm willing to pay the price. Because of Christ's love on the cross, I'm willing to pay the price to show His love to other people. And this morning, I just want to talk about the effort of showing love to others. You know what I find to be true in my own life? I find it to be true in everyone's life. We've all been there. Sometimes... It's extremely easy to show love to other people. It's just extremely easy. It's easy because of where we find ourselves. You know, our plate is not overloaded, we are not overwhelmed. To do one more thing is not gonna stress me out. I'm having a good day. And when all of those things come together, having a good day, I'm not stressed out, someone's asking me to show love in a situation. It doesn't add any more to my plate. I say, I can do this. I can do this. It's easy to show love in those situations. Sometimes it's easy to show love because of who I'm going to show the love to. I know the person is going to accept the good deed very graciously. They're kind. They're appreciative of everything that other people do for them. And when it doesn't add a lot to me to show love, And when I know the other person is going to appreciate the love, it becomes, for all of us, extremely easy to show love in those cases. But again, if we're all honest with ourselves, and we are, it's going to get a little touchy here now. There are times when showing love to others is a real effort, if not extremely difficult. It's difficult because they are not like us. Maybe they have a different political view than we have and they express their political views and they know that they're right and they know that I'm wrong. Or I know that I'm right and I want to tell them that they're wrong. Whatever the case may be. Okay. Sometimes it's difficult to show love to other people when they dress differently. They may have a different religion than what I have. We may show them elementary love, we may show them junior high love, be gracious to them, but to show that group of people graduate-level love, it becomes very difficult. It's a real effort, isn't it? Our parable that we read this morning, to me anyways, is the best example of a parable in the Bible of showing graduate-level love. We all know the parable well, but I want to spend a little time with us this morning looking at the questions and the answers that Jesus gives in the exchange before the parable is given. Because it is the questions that are the important thing here perhaps. A man comes to Jesus, and this man had a graduate-level education in Jewish law. He comes to Jesus with a question to trap Jesus, to test Jesus. And the question is this, what must he do, what must I do to inherit eternal life? I will give the man some credit. He knew that he wanted eternal life. He knew that he was made for eternity. He knew that there was two destinations for everyone who's ever walked on this earth, two eternal destinations, eternal life or eternal death. And he thought, as most of the world thinks, that he could do something to win God's favor in order for God to give him eternal life. What must I do to gain eternal life? And that question is asked by everyone sooner or later. In fact, the closer we think we are to eternity, and the closer we think we are to the second coming, the more people ask that question and try to find an answer to that question. Boy, been there, done that. You do a series on the second coming, and the Holy Spirit moves Everyone comes to church and everyone wants to get right. If you think Jesus is going to come before the election, I hope Jesus comes before the election. <laughs> yeah, but you know what I mean. Jesus answers the man's question, "What must I do to to get eternal life?" with another question back to him: "How do you read the law? How do you understand the law?" And the man responded correctly. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your strength, with all your soul, and all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. Good answer, Jesus says to him. To which the man again asks another question. Tell me who my neighbor is. Tell me who my neighbor is. And that question leads up to Jesus giving the story of the Good Samaritan. Those of you who are in a small group, you're in a science school class, studying the questions leading up to the story of the Good Samaritan. Study those questions and study those answers. Now the story of the Good Samaritan. Let me, let me do a si- sidelight here for, for a moment. There are four events, four stories in our Bible that are known around the world by every religion everywhere. Four of them. And those four are this, the Ten Commandments. Everybody, every religion knows the the Ten Commandments. Number two is David and Goliath. Everybody everywhere knows David and Goliath. They may not know that it came from the Bible, but they know David and Goliath. Number three is the story of the prodigal son. Everybody everywhere knows the story of the prodigal son. They may not know that it came from the Bible, but they know the story of the prodigal son, someone coming back home. And number four is the good Samaritan. Everybody everywhere knows the story of the good Samaritan. They may not know that it came from the Bible, but no matter what religion you have, helping others, that's just a part of it in the story of the good Samaritan. It's not me this time. (laughs) Maybe I'm getting too excited. Is that it? Now what I want us to do is look at the six people that are in... I'm going to present this from a little bit different perspective than what maybe you've seen in the past. I want to look at the six people that are in the story of the Good Samaritan. And the effort of love that they showed to the others. Six people. Number one, the man on the road to Jericho. The man, the guy that gets beat up. He needed someone to show him love, obviously. Graduate-level love. If someone didn't come by and show him love, he's going to die, and he's going to be in eternity. He needed someone who was willing to say, I'm going to help, and I may not get anything in return. That's graduate-level love. A love that sacrifices its own personal resources to help others. That man who had just been robbed, stripped of his clothes, naked, laid alongside of the road, half-dead, the Scripture says. He needed someone to show him graduate-level love. Number two, and I just lump all these guys together, the robbers. Seldom do you talk about the robbers in the story of the Good Samaritan. But they needed someone to show them graduate-level love, too. Now, I don't know what you think about the robbers. You know, you may be one of these guys that has everything cut and dried. They're robbers, you know. Get, Get on with them, lock them up, and get on with life and all of that. But consider this, consider this. The person who's willing to show the robbers graduate-level love is the one that's going to reap the greatest benefit of graduate-level love. Follow along with me here. The robbers needed someone to help them find a better way of life. Someone needs to ask the question about rehabilitation here. Why did they rob? Was it a one-time event? Was it a lifestyle? Did they have a family that they were trying to feed? Did they have someone they need to clothe? Should they get a second chance? Or should they be locked up in the key thrown away if they're ever caught? With what level of love do you respond to the robbers? If you're willing to learn their story, take your time, because graduate level love is not a one time event. Graduate level love sometimes involves time and resources, a long time. If you're willing to take your time to learn their story, the biggest return on your effort is with the robbers in the story. Be involved in a jail ministry, be involved with those who seem to never be able to make the right decision. It's a long commitment. Hold their hand as they try to walk through life. Help them make the right decision. The person who's willing to help the robbers, the down-and-outers, the unfortunate, those who just don't have the mental capacity to make the right decision, the person that's willing to do graduate-level love with those folks are the ones who reap the biggest return of a changed life, for the ones showing gradual-level love, and for the one you're showing the love to, the robbers, golden opportunity. Number three, the priest. He walks on the other side of the road. He saw the man. But he knew he did not dare to make eye contact. Because if he makes eye contact, he will feel guilty for not helping. So he keeps on walking, he keeps on driving. Maybe the priest had a meeting he had to get to at the temple in Jerusalem or Jericho. He had a meeting he had you know what, this priest always showed up on time and if he stopped to help this person he would not be able to make it on time and his perfect attendance record of being always on time for the service would be ruined. He operated at preschool love. Jesus loves me but I don't know whether I want to help anybody else. Got to tell you a story, true story. Most of the stories I tell are true, okay? Got, 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 they're all true. <laughs> got, got to tell you a story on how I and a group of college kids almost became just like the priest in this story. This goes all the way back to my Buffalo college days. There was a group of us guys, four or five of us, but drove down to Oak Grove Missionary Church out in the country down there, Napanee, Bremen area, every Sunday because that was a small going church. All of us were raised in that size church, and some of us were farm boys, and we just felt a lot more comfortable there than we did a lot of other nice big churches. And it was a snowy Sunday morning. It wasn't hardly anybody on the road. And we're going down Logan Street there. You know, you go down Logan Street, if you can remember this intersection, you go down Logan Street, then you come to Dragoon Trail, and you, there's this little hill to get up Dragoon Trail there, and it was snowing, and, and there was this elderly guy in his car trying to get up that little grade there on Dragoon Trail. He was fishtailing his way up there, and, and we were there too, and we could see he's not going to make it, but you know what we did? We drove right around him and kept right on going. We drove right around him and kept right on going. Then someone in the car said, we should stop and help that guy get up the hill. And someone else in the car said, but if we do that, we're going to be late for church. Just like the priest. And then light bulbs went off almost all at the same time. The Holy Spirit spoke to us. I can spiritualize this if you want it to be. But all of us said, almost all at the same time, what a better time to help someone than when you're on the way to church. Yeah? So we got out, we stopped our car, got out of it, and with our Sunday go-to-meeting clothes on, you know, back in those days you had Sunday go-to-meeting clothes on, Uh uh-huh, I probably shouldn't go down that road, should I? Mm-hmm. And we pushed that man up the hill, and we hopped in the car and drove out, out down to Oak Grove. I don't know if he was late for church or not, but every time we go by that, I still end about every time we go by that intersection. I still remember that I was almost the priest in that story. I've never forgotten that. Number four. In the Good Samaritan story, the Levite, the man from the tribe of Levi. He shows preschool love. Jesus loves me, this I know, but I don't have time to help somebody else. Can't be bothered. He's just like the priest. No effort, no effort to show love to a hurting person, not even a half-dead person. We should look at the innkeeper here, too. He's number five. He seems to be a trusting person, probably knew the Good Samaritan, personally, because he allowed the Good Samaritan to have a, an open billing account. If you need more money, I'll pay for it when I come back. He may have showed some level of love, but he also may have just been doing a business deal. The Good Samaritan's always good on his word. Then there's the Good Samaritan, number six. He's the only one in the story that really operates at the graduate level, love. He takes a risk of helping a wounded person, not knowing if the robbers were nearby. He himself could have been robbed and mugged and end up just like the man he was trying to help. Graduate level love often takes personal risk Graduate-level love is often outside of its comfort zone to help others in the name of Christ. Graduate-level love will use its own resources to help the wounded. Graduate-level love uses its own mode of transportation to get the man to the place where he needed to go, put him on his donkey, put him in his car, And graduate-level love uses its own personal line of credit to bring complete healing to the wounded. Let me tell you another story. This does not involve Lyndon me. Now I'm going to use the name Sally in this story. But Sally's not her real name. Sally was shopping at Big Lot's store. And while she's shopping at a Big Lot's store, she overhears this couple talking about not having enough money to repair their car and buy the couch that they wanted at Big Lot's. And it was a real-life conversation. Reality TV in the Big Lot's store. And the guy was a man, he had a hat on that said Vietnam veteran. And this is what tugged at Sally's heart, Vietnam veteran. And the couple go back and forth. You know, we can't fix the car, we can't buy the couch. But we need a new couch. The couch we're on, I can't even take it to goodwill. The couch is so worn out and dirty. And as Sally is listening to all of this, standing off to the side, just listening to it, She happens to find the store manager and pulls him off to the side and and has him listen to this conversation a little bit too. Then Sally says to the store manager, I want to buy this couch for this couple. And she takes out three $100 bills out of her pocket and gives it to the manager and tells the manager to get the couch for the couple. All the time... Sally's off to the side, listening, watching a little bit. And all of this unfolds. You know, this is going to take 20 minutes, half hour to all unfold. All this unfolds. The manager goes to the couple saying, there's someone who wants to buy this couch for you, and we're going to give it to you for $300. And Sally stands there and watches it all go out the door, totally overwhelmed with emotion. And the couple, totally overwhelmed with emotion. Who would do such a thing for us? Then Sally calls her husband and tells him, you know what I just did? And her husband says, that's good, you did the right thing. You did the right thing. That there is graduate-level love living itself out, asking for nothing in return. Let me read you a a story. This comes off Facebook just yesterday. One of my Facebook friends puts this on Facebook. I never thought about this until I I read this, and I said, boy, this this is graduate-level love. Right here, she talks about healthcare workers. I suspect it is hard to love a health care worker. We get up early, we come home, home late, or we may have night shifts and we're too tired to cook. We miss weekend events, holidays, birthdays. We don't get too excited over a minor cough or cold. We've seen far worse. We don't always want to talk when we come home. We've talked all day. We don't always want to move when we come home. We've moved all day. It may seem that we have nothing left. It may seem that we have left all of our caring, our heart, and our love at work and have come home to you empty. We probably have. I guess it's hard to love a healthcare worker. But know this we still need your love. We need your understanding. We need to know that you get it. We need to be the one taken care of every once in a while. We need someone else to take charge of the details because we are constantly doing everything ourselves and it is exhausting. Sometimes we need our feet rubbed, we need a shoulder to cry on when we can't even tell you why we're grieving. We need you to do the hardest work you will ever take on, which is to love a healthcare worker. And in this day and age, with COVID and all of that, graduate level love for healthcare workers is a practical application. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for this emotion that you have given us called love. And sometimes as we go through life down here, it's an effort to love. Sometimes we just want to stay in our own little circle, because it's comfortable there. But you didn't stay in your own little circle. You came to show us graduate level love. Now you simply ask us to show graduate level love to others in your name. Thank you for love. Thank you for the challenge to get outside of our comfort zones. In Christ's name, amen.